Open them with me to Matthew chapter 22. I, I got a lot, of, a lot of things on my heart tonight, and I just really just know the Holy Spirit, trust in the Holy Spirit, confidence in the Holy Spirit's going to lead us where we need to go and take us where we need to be. And, and um, there's a principle in the Scriptures um, that's basically summarized in the idea of, of leave a little, leave a little. Um, when they would harvest the grain, they would always uh, leave a little for other folks to come behind them that maybe were in need. Same with the olive tree. You know, we, we have a tendency to pick everyone on there and pick the thing bare. And, and um, instructions were to, to leave a little behind. And um, obviously that's for animals, birds, people in need. But also leaving a little communicates that what? That, that there's plenty more coming. I mean, we don't have to strip something bare. There's plenty more coming. And... and um, I've about decided with, with this particular subject that we're on right now, um, we're just going to have to leave a little. It's just there's so much for us to cover and talk about. I really want to finish this section tonight in Matthew uh, 22. But anyway, let's, uh, let's just see what the Lord's got for us. Amen. Verse number 20, Matthew 22:20, 20, And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's, and he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And of course, there were some people trying to confuse Jesus, trying to embarrass Jesus, trying to trip Jesus up by asking him about paying taxes to the Roman Empire. And Jesus said, Hand me one of the coins. And he held up the coin. He asked him whose image and inscription is on the coin. And they said, Caesar's. And he said, Well, we need to render, surrender, render. To Caesar, what belongs to Caesar, but then he layered on top of that the most important part of this, right? But render unto God what belongs to God. Now, this word render, it speaks of giving to, surrendering to Caesar what Caesar expects, what Caesar desires, but also what Caesar demands. And the same word is used, of course, in the context of giving God what God desires, giving God what God expects, giving God what God demands. Now we've come to this passage because we've been making a statement, I'm going to make it again tonight, and that is, Father desires and expects far more from a relationship with you than has ever entered your wildest imagination. We've said that God created you with a desire and expectation of loving you, giving Himself to you, being one with you, and filling you with His fullness by literally sharing all that He is and all that He has with you. Now, there are certain things pertaining to the Word of God that the devil fights more than others. Don't misunderstand me. He wants to steal God's Word from our hearts. He, he, the enemy never wants you to hear or understand anything that God has to say to you or about you. But there are certain subjects, there are certain things that we see tremendous resistance. We see tremendous demonic forces trying to stop the preaching of certain things. And this one area, this one subject 
is the one more than all the others. And, and we've, you know, been very bold throughout the years here at Heritage. I mean, we've, we've preached prosperity. We've, um, we, we've, we've preached a, a lot of things that, amen, not everyone necessarily agrees with in the body of Christ. Um, but I'm telling you, this, this one subject, your oneness with God, is, in my humble opinion, praise God, in my personal experience, it's the one subject that the enemy is the most afraid of. It's, it's the one subject that he can least afford you understanding and renewing your mind to. We began this series several weeks back, and the Holy Spirit just kept saying over and over, you got to get this, you got to get this, and I'm glad that um, you are staying the course, as the Holy Spirit said to us through Sister Dot last Sunday evening, I believe it was. Um, we have to endure sound doctrine, and it takes sometimes a while for us to receive the Word and have the light and the water necessary uh, coming from the Word into our lives to cause the seed of God's Word to grow and ultimately produce results and a harvest in our lives. Amen? So, let me, um, wow, let, let's, let me talk to you for a minute. Can we just do that? Praise God. I want to, um, I want to take you through a few verses right quick and then we'll come back and we'll wrap up here, but, um, I guess you can see how far I'm scrolling down in my notes here, but I really feel compelled to do this. I want us to um, stitch a few verses together that I believe will help you, all right? And I'll put them on the screen for the sake of time. The first one is out of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse number 10. It's a simple verse. It says this, You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. <laughs> it's like, okay, whatever. No, again, God says to His people, when you're out there plowing, don't hitch your donkey and your ox up side by side to plow. Why is that? Well, it's because donkey and ox, they're not comparable. They're not compatible. Or we could borrow from the New Testament expression of this, they are not equally yoked, Y-O-K-E-D. They're not equally yoked together. Alright? Now, let's take this passage and let's jump over into the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And let's go to, I'll tell you what, let's go to verse 14. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14, the Lord says to us, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? All right, so just to make sure you understand what a yoke is, because for years when I was younger, I thought the word was like the yolk of an egg. Not an egg yolk, but a yoke. Okay, not Y-O-L-K, but Y-O-K-E, all right? So a yoke, I'll kind of draw it in the air. A yoke is a farm implement that is shaped something like this that goes over and you would take two oxen, bring them along side by side, and you would drop that yoke over their shoulders 
and then there would be a loop on both sides that went around and connected them into that yoke. And it was designed to combine the forces of two things together to create synergy in accomplishing work. So you would yoke two animals together to pull the plow, and the idea, of course, is that by both of them pulling together, they could work harder and longer than the sum of both of their uh, individual efforts, okay? And, but yet, God's Word, God's law, thank God we're not under the law anymore, but the principle remains, is that you should never plow your donkey and your oxen together because they're not equal, they're not comparable, they're not compatible with one another. Now, when we come to the New Testament, we see that Father God's instructions to you and me is to not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And he's talking about our relationship with other people, but notice he then asks the, the question, he says, what, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? Now, without teaching the rest of the month on this, when you were born again, you went from darkness to light. You went from a condition of lawlessness to a condition of righteousness. Righteousness is not just something you aspire to, but righteousness is something you became. Light is not just something you're trying to become, but you are, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He said you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we're talking about your new identity in Christ. Somebody say amen to that. Your new identity in Christ. And so he's saying that these two are not just opposite to one another, but, but that there's no communion there. There's no fellowship there. Now, let's go back to this word communion. Communion is um, what makes a community strong. A community is when two or more people exist together, right, um, for the benefit of, of one another. And what makes a community strong is the communion. That's when the individual members of a community share their resources with the other members of that community. Are you following me still tonight? I know we're kind of rushing through this. We've taught extensively on it earlier in the year. God is an eternal community. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they exist in absolute communion. In other words, they share everything that they are and everything that they have with the other members of that community that is the Godhead, that is the Trinity. And He created you and me in His image and likeness with His inscription upon us so that we could become one together with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now again, this makes people nervous. This makes people very uncomfortable. They, they, they don't like to hear this because there's such an inferiority complex in the body of Christ today. There's such a, a worthlessness uh, mindset in the body of Christ today. There's, there's this, this idea that we're just old sinners saved by grace, that, that we're wretches and that we're worms and, and you know, God's at best indifferent towards us. And none of that could be further from the truth. God created you. In other words, we've asked this question over and over again. You know, why go to all this trouble? What is all this about? What is all this for? What is the, what is the intention? What is the purpose? Why did God do all of this? He lived without us, existed without us for eternity past. 
And, and then He created us and went to all this trouble and all this effort and Jesus coming and suffering for us. It's because He created us to expand Himself by making us one with Him. Oneness. Oneness. I, I just want you to hear my heart for just a moment, okay? There's lots of other things that would be easier to preach. Man, I, I have uh, I have battled, I've done some spiritual warfare this week because because the, the enemy has really put pressure on me. Um, I'm just I'm just exposing him. I'm not trying to play no violin for you. I'm just saying I get you to play one for me. I'm just telling you the enemy has put tremendous pressure on me this week to back away from this. He's telling me things like, man, those, nobody's understanding this, Mark. This is something that, that you're getting a hold of for yourself, but it's, it's over most people's heads, and you've got new people coming to the church, and, and, and they're just going to come and hear that once and walk away. And they, blah, blah, blah. He's such a liar. He is such a liar. Because, see, here's the thing. When you get this and your mind is renewed to this, the devil is just as powerless to stop you as he was to stop Jesus. Everything Jesus did, the Bible says, every, Jesus talking in John 14, He said, every work I have done, I have done because I am in my Father and my Father is in me because me and my Father are one. Amen. Amen. Alright, so let's, let's add another passage. We've got two verses here. First one is that you don't put dissimilar, you don't put incompatible, uncomparable things under the same yoke. We see it in Deuteronomy. Now we see it in 2 Corinthians. Do not be unequally yoked together because the purpose of yoking two things together, making two things one, is for the purpose not just of work. Don't miss, don't miss this now. It's for the purpose of fellowship. It's for the purpose of communion. You don't, you don't put two things together that, that don't have the capacity to fellowship and commune with one another. Donkeys and oxen don't get along. They're not on the same page. They don't bear the same image. They don't have the same inscription. God didn't create them for the same purposes. There are similarities there, but not enough similarity to cause the kind of oneness, the kind of fellowship, the kind of communion that a yoke requires, or we could say that word again, here it comes, that the yoke demands. The yoke demands. Remember, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Render unto God what belongs to God. This idea of rendering is giving to, surrendering to, what God desires, what God expects, but also what your creation in His image and likeness demands. It's what it demands. It's what it calls for. He could have created you less than what you are tonight. But He created you in His image and in His likeness and put His inscription literally inside of you. Because He created you to be yoked up together with Him. He created you for the purpose of having fellowship and communion together with Him. He made you so much like Himself as to make you equal together with Jesus for the purposes of yoking, fellowshipping, and communing. Say, Pastor Mark, I don't know. That sounds like heresy to me. Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. So we've went from all of this is the Word of God. All of this is the Word of God. Am I right about that? 
I'm not, I haven't made any of this up. This isn't something that I, I came up with. This is what the Word of God says. And so it's all the Word of God. I'm not trying to belittle or diminish any aspect of the Word of God. But to me, the most clarity, and I'm not going to go into a whole explanation of this, but if you, if you look at the Word of God as like a court system like we have in our, United, in, in, in our country, in the United States, if, if there's a ruling in a lower court that's not clear, you appeal it to a higher court so that the higher court can shed more light on it, can, can bring more clarity to it. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? And so the same is true with the Word of God. If you read something over in the Old Testament that you're not sure about, well, take it over to the New Testament for greater... And then for the highest court in the land, we have the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court in the Scriptures is the part written in red. It's the part that came straight out of the mouth of Jesus. It's not that the rest of God's Word is not His Word, but I'm talking about for the purpose of, of clarifying, for the purpose of making it plain, for the purpose of clearing up confusion and misunderstanding. And the best way to do that is to take your misunderstanding all the way to what Jesus had to say and let Him shed His light upon it. So in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says this, Come to Me, Jesus speaking, Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So notice now what Jesus is saying. He is inviting you and me to come and be yoked together with Him. He is calling for you and me to come alongside Him, become one with Him in union, amen, in communion, in fellowship, so that He can then teach you, so that you can then learn from Him and find the rest that became yours the moment you were born again. Notice He says, come to Me and I will give you rest. Learn from Me and you will find rest. There are a lot of people who have been given rest because they're born again, but they've not yet found rest because they're still living out of their own head. They're still living their lives, for the most part, the way the rest of the people in the world live their lives, which is causing a continual unrest in their lives. Continual dread, continual fear, continual worry. Con just can't get settled, can't quite seem to, 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 to get you know, dialed in where you need to be. That's why Jesus says, come to me, I'll give you rest, learn from me, and you'll find the rest. Right? Now, let me tell you, and I, and I know that we could, you know, we could say there's so much for us to learn from Jesus, and that would be an accurate statement. Amen? In other words, there's so much we could learn from Him about ministry. So much we could learn from Him about, you know, uh, you know dealing with people. So much we could learn from Him about uh, government. So much we could learn from Him about finances. So much that we could learn from Him about prayer. So much that we could learn from Him about, and just fill in the blank, right? His whole life, and, and not just what He said, but how He lived, is, is for you and me. He's the Word made flesh. He's, he's, he's a living, breathing book for us to learn from. And so thank God for that. But again, not just in the interest of simplicity, but in the interest of also being comprehensive, 
I'm going to be both simple and comprehensive at the same time. Let me tell you what Jesus, let me tell you what Jesus wants to teach you. Let me tell you what Jesus wants you to learn from him. Let me tell you what you come alongside, be yoked up together with him for the purpose of him teaching you. He's going to teach you how to live as one with God. He knows how to do it. He knows how to do it as the Son of God in heaven, and he, and he learned how to do it. That's what the Bible says. He learned obedience through the things that He suffered. He learned how to do it as a man in the flesh. He knows how to live as one with God. And He's going to teach you how to do that. He's going to teach me how to do that. You say, well, I thought He was going to, I thought he was going to teach me about money. See, again, it, living as one with God involves the management the stewardship of your resources. Living as one with God involves family. Living as one with God involves dealing with other people. You can't live as one with God and have unforgiveness in your heart towards other people. Jesus is going to teach you about, about forgiveness. But the bigger picture is He's trying to teach you how to live as one with God, and unforgiveness in your heart is going to cause you unrest in your life. Am I right about this? Think about that for a moment. Come to me, I'll give you rest. Learn from me and you'll find rest. You learn the ways of forgiveness from Jesus, you'll find rest. You keep on holding on to this world's uh, concept of vengeance, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, the, 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 the law, all these other things. It's going to keep you in a constant state of unrest and turmoil in your life. And it's not just, listen, I could say it's because you weren't created to have that unforgiveness in your heart, and that would be a true statement. But the reason you weren't created to have unforgiveness in your heart is because you were created to be one with God. The bigger picture is oneness with God. We were talking about this in the Ephesians class this morning. You can learn it now, you can learn it later, but you're going to learn it. Because if you're born again, you're going to be one with Him, not just for the rest of your life, but for the rest of. <laughs> Always and forever. Yes and amen. Eternity. We're one with Him forever. Now what all that looks like in the life that is to come, amen, I'm just telling you, it's better than anything we've heard yet. I promise you that. That's why the word of the Lord to us here is this life needs to be understood as a training ground and as a proving ground. As a training ground and as a proving ground. Training for what? Training to live as one with God the Father. Training to live as one with God the Son. Training to live as one with God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I, I showed you these three verses tonight, and I thought it would take me five minutes, and it looks like it's taking up the whole sermon. That's okay. I showed you these verses tonight because I want you to see something. If Jesus invites you to be yoked up together with Him, and God says it's wrong for dissimilar incompatible things to be yoked together, what does it say about your compatibility, your comparability, and your similarity to Jesus the Son? Are you seeing? That's, that's the key point tonight. That's what I'm trying, the Holy Spirit's trying to help you see. In other words, if, if, we, were not, if we were not comparable to and compatible with Jesus, He could not say, come be yoked up together with me and learn of me. 
Now, perhaps he could say something like, you know, um, come to my obedience school, like we would send a dog to an obedience school. Or come sit at my feet. I have no problem sitting at his feet. Don't misunderstand me. Humbling ourselves before him. But he did not say, come sit at my feet. He said, come and take my yoke upon you. Be, be joined together as one with me. When Jesus offered that, let me tell you what he's saying to you and me. Jesus invites you to be yoked with him. If this were not possible, he would be in violation of his own word. And he would be in violation of his own word if we were not equal to him for yoking purposes. If we were not equal to him for yoking purposes. All right, I'm, I gave you a moment to run there. I don't think anybody ran. You still with me tonight? He's stretching us, right? He's stretching us. Let me, in the few minutes we have remaining, comment on where we began tonight. And we've been, we've been at this passage for a few sermons together now. And that is in Matthew chapter 22. Let's, I'll put it back up on the screen for you. Verses 20 and 21. Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Whose image and inscription is this, he asked, in verse number 20. Now last Sunday night when we were together, we, we talked about the image part. In Genesis chapter 1, in verse number 26... It says this, Then God said, and this is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God said, let us, notice the plural pronoun. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, to be made in the image of God, image refers to that which a thing is formed after, as well as that which it is formed from. The different aspects of creation, when God created those things, He spoke, like for instance, to the earth, to the soil. He spoke to the waters. But when He created us, He spoke to Himself. He cut us from the same cloth, formed us from the same substance, and then breathed Himself into us. The word likeness, image and likeness, is the state or quality of being alike having characteristics in common, strictly comparable, alike in substance or essentials, corresponding to. So do you see how this word likeness qualifies us to be yoked together with Jesus? Let me read it to you again. The state or quality of being alike. A, an ox and a donkey are not alike. An ox and a donkey do not have the same characteristics in common. An ox and a donkey are not strictly comparable alike in substance or essentials. They're not the same substance. They're, not, they're, they're, they're essentially different. Are you following me? So therefore, they do not correspond well to one another. Yes? But we were created in the image and in the likeness of God. Now, he also said 
though, in Matthew 22, 20, whose image and inscription? See, we bear the image and inscription of God. So we've covered what it means to bear His image. What does it mean to bear His inscription? Well, if you could have seen the coin that Jesus held up that day, it, it had Caesar's image imprinted on it, but it also had writing on there. It was inscribed, and that inscription did a, a few things. It authenticated that coin. It, and we talked about this this morning. It, it communicated what was backing the monetary value of that coin. But it was also, the, in, the inscription was an imprint that, that, was, that was unique. And, and I never really got into it a lot. Matthew collected coins when we were younger, and, and, and he knows a whole lot more about that but, than, than I do. But, you know, there are dimes that look just like plain old regular dimes, but they can have an inscription on them that, that can make them worth hundreds if not thousands of dollars because that different inscription tells where it was minted and when it was minted and this and that and, and these distinguishing marks and characteristics that would be the inscription on the coin that would make that particular coin or series of coins unique. Okay? Now, I'm telling you all this to tell you the Bible says in Ephesians that God has given grace to every individual, to every man, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Let me, let me try to say that a, a, a different way or, or, or help you connect with what that means. There are certain characteristics that we all have in common, but then God has inscribed upon you and upon your life um, you know, a, a uniqueness a, a um, what's the word, specificity, you know, you're, you're specific, you're unique, um, and, and there's never been another one like you. So, you know, you, you take your thumbprint, right, boom, and, and he has literally inscribed upon you a thumbprint that no one in history has ever had or ever will have. And, and so, you know, when we start talking about his inscription, we could talk about the unique and specific details um, that make you the individual that you are to Him, um, uniquely gifted, uniquely called, uniquely equipped um, to fulfill a unique assignment, purpose, and destiny um, that, that again is, um, is something that only you can do for Him and only you can give to Him. Amen. Are you still with me tonight? I'm, I'm rushing this. Maybe I shouldn't rush it, but, but this, is, this is a beautiful thing. Now, that's one end of the spectrum when we're talking about inscription. That's the, the unique and specific. I want us to go to the other end of the spectrum, and, and this would involve an inscription that, that God has placed upon, I believe, all mankind. In other words, even people who do not believe in God were created by God. E even people who say there is no God have an imprint of God upon them because they were created in His image and in His likeness as well. Now, 
He has, God has, imprinted us with Himself. And I don't just mean that He has two hands, so we have two hands. That's image. The imprint now that I'm talking about, or the inscription now that I'm talking about, goes much deeper than just our outward shape or appearance. His inscription upon you are things that you may not readily recognize as His inscription and are therefore taken for granted by many people. But nonetheless, these things are a direct imprint from Him, an inscription from Him. Jesus mentioned some of these in the Scriptures. For instance, He talked about a parent's heart for their child. We, we get that because it was imprinted, it was inscribed upon us at creation by our Heavenly Father. Now, let me, let me try to show you a few more of these generally speaking. It is a direct inscription or a direct imprint from our Creator residing in each one of us that is what I call a desire to win. See, again, we take this for granted, but we don't like to lose. We, we, don't, we don't like to lose because we weren't created to lose. God never loses. And His desire for you is to always triumph, to be more than a conqueror. And so again, when I say these things are imprinted upon us, inscribed upon us, how about this one? A desire to be right. Man. Desire to be right. Or we could even say, and I know some may debate this, an understanding of what is right and what is wrong. Now, there are some of the most, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping me. Some of the most beautiful, obvious, and I'm, I'm even going to use the word sacred aspects of our existence. Things that we experience in this life that are glimpses into eternity for us. They're glimpses into the heart of God for us. And I believe even to some extent each one of these things tap into and reveal the heart of God for us. I'll use one. Marriage. 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 Alright? Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 30. It says this, We are members of His body. Last verse, just stay with me, praise God. For we are members of His body, of His flesh and of His bones. 
For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, I'm not going to take the time to do it tonight. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do it next Sunday morning, next Sunday evening. But in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about our oneness with God and the oneness that exists between a husband and a wife. And he weaves those two truths back and forth, crossing one another, coming back across one another, because he's wanting us to understand that the miracle of two becoming one through the covenant of marriage is but a glimpse, is but a foretaste, is but a shadow of Father God's heart, of what Father God desires for you and me. The Bible is a book of covenants. And we see that there was a covenant that existed that created a relationship that's now referred to as the Old Covenant. And God said that covenant created a relationship between Himself and His people much like the one that a shepherd has with his sheep. Much like the one that a, that a herdsman has with his cattle. God said, I do not want a relationship with my people that is like the one a shepherd has with his sheep or a herdsman has with his cattle, but I want a relationship with my people that is like the one a husband has with his wife. I want a relationship with them. I want communion and fellowship with them that can only be categorized by the word oneness. This is why He did away with that old covenant and instituted a new covenant because now in the new covenant God is no longer shepherd or herdman and we're sheep and cattle but we have become sons and daughters we have become birthed by Him we are fathered by Him we have become members of His family and we have become one with Him Amen Are you seeing this? So when we look at the earthly institution of marriage it is it is. It is something that exists upon the earth in limited form and dimension. A version of something. Can I use that word? It is a version, an earthly version of something from heaven that exists on a completely different level, on a completely different plane in heaven than it does here on the earth. But yet, the, 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 the earthly institution, which is a spiritual union, don't misunderstand me, between a man and a woman in the eyes of God. This, this is something, that's why he says, what God's joined together, let no man put asunder. When two people stand before God and enter into a, a marriage covenant before witnesses and before God, what God does in that moment is nothing short of miraculous. It's nothing short of divine. He in the Spirit joins that man and woman together in the Spirit and makes them one. Makes them one. And it is God allowing you and me to catch a glimpse, to have a taste, to see a, a, a shadow, if you will, of what His heart is for you and for me. Let me read verse 32 from you from the Passion Translation. Marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty, a great sacred mystery meant to be a vivid example of Christ and His church. Consider how a mother thinks and feels while pregnant with her child. The love and bond a father has with his child. Children 
created through love and intimacy, coming from within the father and mother. The dependence a child has upon its parents, the oneness and intimacy a husband and a wife share together. Again, all of these things are things, they're versions, they're earthly versions of things that exist on a much higher level in heaven. I don't, want to, I don't want to confuse you, but I'm closing it up. Praise God. One of my earliest doubts or questions that led to doubt about this whole God thing, amen, as it was being introduced to me as I was growing up into these things, was we have God the Father and we have God the Son. I wanted to know where the mother was. Right? Am I the only one? Am I the only weirdo? I don't think so. Amen? Yes, no, maybe. It's like, okay, God the Father, God the Son. If you got a father and a son, what happened to the mother? Okay? Now, why am I bringing this up to you? I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to show you that our earthly understanding of fatherhood is, in our experience with fatherhood, is something that originated in heaven, but we have a much, oh, what's the right word? We have a limited version of what it really is in heaven. Is that, does that help you? See, like, who's with me now, especially you men? The bride of Christ? Come on, Pastor Mark, I'm not sure about that. Because see, we, we understand bride, Christ, intimacy, uh, you know, you know all, all of these, the consummation of the marriage and all this other stuff. And we think, well, Jesus, we think of him as male, and so, you know, we're male, and I don't want to be a bride. All this other. See, again, we're trying to understand it from the limited earthly version. There was a version of marriage in heaven before there was ever an Adam and Eve joined together. Are you following what I'm saying? It's called oneness. It's called oneness. Maybe I bit off too much, but stand with me tonight. Praise God. Are you getting anything out of this tonight? Let me tell you what I believe the Holy Spirit more than anything else. He's wanting us to see more clearly the heart of God for us. That He created us the way He created us, in His image, in His likeness, with His inscription, with His imprint upon us. Also that He could make us one with Himself. Amen? Father, we thank You tonight for this time together. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your truth. We thank You for Your wisdom. We thank You, Father, for Your heart and for revealing Your heart to us by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God. Father, by the things that You have spoken to us together this evening. I thank You, Father, tonight that we are, each and every one, coming alongside, submitting ourselves to the yoke that would make us one with Jesus so that we can learn from Him and find the rest that's already been given to us. Father, I thank you tonight for life and peace, and I pray that as we go our separate ways, Father, that we would let our lights shine before men, that they may see our good works and glorify you in heaven. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. Thank you for being here tonight. Good things coming. Good things coming.